The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, July 3rd, as we bring you a new episode a day before 4th of July 2023. There's some good things happening with the White Sox. Luis Robert Jr. earns his first All-Star appearance and could start the game deciding how Dusty Baker handles Aaron Judge's situation. Zach Remillard continues to be helpful for the White Sox. And Eloy Jimenez is getting hot at the plate. Man, those three topics could take up half the show, but those three positive items are not painting the whole picture when it comes to the Chicago White Sox. Despite scoring 18 runs over the weekend against Oakland, the White Sox lost the series. They lost a series to an Oakland A's team that is going to struggle to win 50 games this season. Now it's baseball. Weird and bad things happen over a 162-game season. But for a White Sox team desperately trying to make up the gap in the American League Central, they needed this series win. And now there's more bad injury news as Michael Kopech is actually hurt and not tired, which leaves the White Sox with just three starting pitchers, at least until the All-Star break. Joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Sunday was a good day for the White Sox, but the weekend overall was very disappointing. Sure was, especially since they lost the middle game, the game Dylan Cease starting against uh, Oakland's Former opening day starter, current starter with an eight ERA, like especially, you know, they they in the first game, Jesse Schultons and Tanner Banks teamed up, did not pitch that well. But Griffal decided to kind of eat the game by having Griffal or sorry, having Schultons throw the eighth inning when maybe if they were trailing by one or tied game, he would have gone a different pitcher. But that made sense because they had another bullpen game on Sunday. They had a game they probably expected to win on Saturday. And so like. You know, managing that game not to lose or, you know, like they're trying to win, obviously, but just, you know, man, managing resources, resource allocation, prioritizing that over winning that game. Like it makes sense if you win on Saturday 
And they did not. And I think that's the one game you look at and say, like, what happened? Especially they blew two leads. Uh, they had their rested bullpen lined up the way they wanted it. And still uh, a, a really disappointing loss. And then Sunday was uh, tricky because they were up eight to three. And then it was suddenly eight to five. And suddenly it was eight to seven. And Clint Frazier made it an adventure on the final out, which he misplayed the previous fly ball hit to him. But at least he caught that to preserve the win for the White Sox. They allowed seven runs in every game to Oakland. The worst offense in Major League Baseball. And the Oakland Athletics scored seven runs in each of these games. And it just has me wondering, and this is a good time to bring in the injury news. Michael Kopech going on the 15-day injured list with shoulder inflammation. So he's not tired. Mm -hmm. There's something that's been going on with Kopech. And since his last start where he threw over 100 pitches, he got to the fifth inning. He could not complete the fifth inning. Now the White Sox have found something to put him on the injured list it sounds like that they're hopeful that with the stint on the injured list through the all-star break with the rest that Michael Kopech could rejoin the White Sox rotation, maybe make a start against the Atlanta Braves in the first series after the all-star break. But I remember that Ethan Katz wanted to slap Michael Kopech back in the fifth starter spot after the all-star break, which would actually push that next start back from Michael Kopech in Queens when the White Sox faced the New York Mets. But in this upcoming homestand, it's six games. The White Sox only have three starting pitchers. And you're going to continue to run out bullpen games. At some, some point, Jim, this pitching staff is going to gas out. They're going to get tired. You don't have a lot of depth in Charlotte. I mean, I know that it sounds like we're a broken record, folks, because we keep talking about the lack of pitching depth in Charlotte. But this week, and maybe even this past weekend against Oakland, could be a sign that while the White Sox pitching has been a lot better, they are showing signs of fatigue and it's costing them games. It's costing them series that they need to win. Yes, that was the problem with how they played in April and May when you know, April was terrible. May was OK, but they lost some winnable games in May, didn't make up the ground they needed to make, and they had basically perfect pitching health. They had all their starters making all the starts. A bullpen was pretty much in shape. Joe Kelly missed a little bit of time, but otherwise they had the relievers they wanted aside from like Liam Hendricks and Joe Kelly for a spell. And still, you know, eight wins in April. And they've been like hovering around a dozen games under 500 the whole time. And now here comes the pitching depth problem. Like it'd be one thing if they were around 500 and then here came, here comes a tough week with bullpen games against good teams and two starters. You're hoping to get back after the all-star break, given that Davis Martin is out. Sean Burke has been hurt. Uh, Jesse Schultons is basically like who they're relying on from Charlotte. Like, yep, this was the two tough weeks you're gonna have to endure because you didn't have the pitching depth built up, but they've gotten that point in their 12 games under 500. Or thereabouts, you know, they, sometimes they're 10 games, sometimes they're 13 games, but just, yeah, 12, a dozen is, is a nice uh, number to go by because it sounds like, you know, solidly double digits, <laughs> not just 10, you could be nine. Uh, it's, that's what makes the April 
so tough the way they lost it. They had everybody they wanted making starts and could not win games. And now they have to win games with their offense. And they struggled to do that in Oakland, even though like Oakland tried uh, with some of the walks they were giving up and the pitchers they're running out and the, the lack of pitching depth they have. Like they dared the White Sox to win games with the offense. They only won one. Uh, they, they could have won the first game. Could have been a slugfest. Couldn't uh, capitalize with the bases loaded. Second game, they scored six runs, almost scored 10, you know, about a foot away from Tim Anderson doing so. But still, like late innings, uh, Pedro Grafal once again kind of subbed himself into a corner and uh, could not, uh, you know, have the, uh, the, the firepower he wanted to score runs in extra innings. And now you have uh, uh, real opponents coming up again with real depth who are actually trying to win and not trying to relocate their team. And now you don't have two starters and it gets a lot tougher. They had Brian Shaw and Gregory Santos closing it out. And they had Lucas Giolito warming up in the bullpen for an inning uh, on his side day. Like this is, uh, this is not great. And if they look this shaky against Oakland, like I think they were hoping that they could get by with two bullpen games in Oakland, see how it goes, but they really didn't. And now it gets tough. And who knows if they've really planned for that. I mean, they're going to have to have a bullpen game. We'll talk about this later in the show against Toronto. They may have to have two bullpen games against St. Louis. And the Cardinals have not been playing very good baseball this season. They've been underwhelming, just as underwhelming as the Chicago White Sox. They're like the NL White Sox. Yeah, the NL White Sox. So maybe you could get away with it. Maybe. But like to the overall point, the White Sox are 37 and 49. In their last 10 games, they're 5 at 5. So they've been 500 last 10 games. So have the Minnesota Twins. So in the last 10 games, you have made up no ground on the Minnesota Twins. You are running out of time to catch the Twins and try to get yourself back up to 500 because the trade deadline looms large. And so does the Major League Baseball draft. And I know that's a big focal point for a lot of front offices entering this week. And everyone is going to be in their respective war rooms. You'll have all the front office executives. And while they are focused on draft talk and draft strategy, with everybody in the room at the same time, this is also a wonderful opportunity for baseball organizations to decide in which direction we are going to go in with the trade deadline looming in a couple of weeks. Like after this draft, do we send scouts out to either scout prospects that we want to acquire if we're going to sell or do we need to send them out to major league locations to get a couple more looks at person of targets that the front office has identified that they want to be buyers and try to acquire these types of players that's what's going to happen here especially after the all-star break and again with everybody in the same room teams have this opportunity so this is a really important week upcoming for the white Sox and you know, with Grafal, and you mentioned Saturday, like managing, managing himself out of a bench. I am really getting tired of the whole, you know what? I am going to pitch run for Eloy Jimenez in the eighth inning because no way does his spot come up again later in the game for Clint Frazier. And what happened? Eloy's spot comes up. Doesn't have Clint Frazier hit. No, he ends up having Gavin Sheets hit for him. So you have Clint Frazier, who is a slightly faster runner than Eloy Jimenez. And after Sunday's game, I'm not quite sure he's that much better of a defender in right field. 
be a defensive replacement for the eighth inning. And then you have Gavin Sheets hit for him in the ninth inning. So that's how you use that one bench guy as a defensive replacement in the eighth inning. And then you have Elvis Andrews come in the game. And in extra innings, Yasmani Grandal's batting. And if he gets on base, great. But you don't have anyone that can run for him because he just burned your bench. Like, ugh. I, it is, I'm just having a hard time following the logic and some of the in-game decision-making by Pedro Grafal. So there's just a lot going on right now that's giving me bad vibes with the White Sox, and especially after this weekend, and I was not expecting that. I thought with the good vibes that they established in the last two games against the Angels gym, scoring 11 runs, scoring 9 runs, it could carry over to Oakland. And they did. They scored 18 runs in three games against the Athletics. That should be good enough to win that series. But it's not. And they have a losing road trip out west. You know, that's nothing new. They go three and four. But man, everyone else in this division has been beating up on the Oakland A's. And if you're the one AL Central team that can't beat the Oakland A's, that might be the deciding factor here. And it's just a missed opportunity for the White Sox. It's another missed opportunity for the White Sox. I think when it comes to Griffal emptying his bench... I think the easiest way I can explain it is that he seems to think, what if this works? And he never thinks, what if this doesn't work? And it keeps not working. Like, I mean, just like, he seems like he manages for the best case scenario of like, this guy delivers this hit. This guy scores from first on a ball to the gap that doesn't get to the wall. You know, he has these like visions of mind of how it might work, but then he always ends up like you know, so many defensive replacements hitting for themselves. Like I really want my idea of a defensive replacement wearing like a neon green Jersey, just so when he comes up to the plate, we know like he shouldn't be hitting. Uh, <laughs> the manager made a mistake. Just, you know, color him and highlighter just to show like the risk that Griffal is taking on. Just wait until the ninth inning for your defense replacements. When you have the lead, <sighs> I I'm with you. He's been making these decisions in the 7th and 8th inning that nothing is going to go wrong. We're totally going to have the lead in the ninth inning. And maybe that is just a philosophical difference between like how I view things in life and maybe Pedro Grafal viewed things in life. Like I'm always one to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. So that's what influences my decision making is that what if something goes wrong my decisions are going to be influenced in what we could do to prepare so we'll be fine if things go wrong. And if the things that could go wrong don't happen, then we're in a great situation. But Pedro Grafal has said that he's an optimist and he's making some decisions here that, to your point, Jim, they can't fail because they're not going to fail. Why would I make this decision or strategize or come up with a strategy if it could possibly fail. I should always have the mindset this is always going to totally work. But when it doesn't work, it just puts the White Sox in a really bad situation. And like, I think the best managers, no matter what it is in life, uh, nine to five jobs or professional sports are ones that can manage all kinds of risk in that particular moment. And as a rookie manager, this is where I think or fall is really struggling and it's impacting the White Sox on the field. You can look at him as an optimist. Sometimes they're pessimistic in terms of like defensive replacements. Like, oh, what if the what if Eloy screws up in right field in the eighth inning? I'm going to feel so bad about that. Some of it seems like it's fear-based. Okay, I can see that. Uh, so like, you know, 
depending on how you look at it, it just seems like he wants to manage the game to win or like he wants to win the game by managing. And it's a little bit, even then that's not really logically consistent with the way Griffal operates otherwise, because like Tim Anderson being first or second in the lineup the whole time, that's like in a belief in Tim Anderson. And that's a, an unshakable belief that he's going to resemble the guy that he's always been soon enough and hasn't happened yet. There were some signs of life from Anderson this weekend, I guess we'll find out whether that's Oakland pitching doing it for him or just you know, himself. Right. Like that's why it's this is a hard weekend to feel great about the way he played. But there were some signs of life. I'm interested in seeing if he carries carries over to Toronto. But you know, there's just this faith that Anderson's going to be the guy and that they need him to be there because the White Sox operate best when he's the straw that stirs the drink at the top of the order. Which sure, you know, understandable. But then like that belief does not extend to a bunch of other guys uh, that, you know, should be in the game, you know, just um, whether it's Eloy and Wright or Eli, Eloy running or like Sebi Zavala, you know, his defense being better than his offense and having Grandal come in and just, you know, just all sorts of situations, making these unnecessary changes that really thin out the bench and reduce like having Yasmani Grandal come up in the ninth if they need him versus in the seventh uh, when, you know, he's trying to score a runner from first with two outs. That's, I think, the what, what I don't get from Griffal is just, yeah, I think if I'm trying to boil it down, it would be like he wants to go to sleep at night knowing like that he you know, made every move he could. And I think he makes every move he can pretty much every single game where they're trailing. And I think that just shows do it once, like, okay, do it, you know, every, you know, three or four weeks. Okay. That's just an aggressive manager doing it like multiple times a week, just smacks of desperation. I think. I'm expecting Rick Hahn to speak to the media on Tuesday to report the injury news and the latest updates not just on Michael Kopech, but Yohan Makata was seen pregame fielding some grounders at third base. We are expecting some type of update on Mike Clevenger's situation as well. When Honda speak about Michael Kopech, is there anything that he could say that you will buy his reasoning and be like, okay, yes, I could understand the White Sox had no idea that Michael Kopech actually had inflammation in his shoulder because this injury news mm. just makes it feel like you knew, like you knew something physically was wrong. You you try to pitch the idea that, Oh, we're, we're trying to manage his innings. He may be tired. Like this is the third straight podcast. We're talking about Michael Kopech and his workload because now he's on the injured list. And it's like the same thing with Gary Crochet, Grafal goes out to the mound. Are you okay? Oh, he says he's okay. Well, he must be okay. He's clearly not okay. He's on the injured list with shoulder inflammation. Like, I don't know if there's anything that Han can say to make me believe or take his word for granted, I guess. <laughs> They're like, okay, yeah, that totally makes mm -hmm. sense, Rick. Because, again, the White Sox have been so weird with injuries as of late. I don't know why they're, they're just not straightforward or forthcoming to tell the media and fans, actually, this is what's going on. This is a concern. This is why we're shutting this guy down. First of all, are shoulders the new hamstrings in terms of I don't know. how many they've had? Crochet and Kopech and Romy and, uh, and Tim Anderson, like all four of them with vague shoulder injuries. So, yeah, I mean, there isn't a whole lot of faith in just 
um, you know, their ability to identify shoulder injuries like Romy Gonzalez dealing with on and off inflammation. Now he's on the 60 day IL. Um, maybe they just want to keep paying him and just say like, oh, you know, we like we like you as a person. Here is a uh, extra service time when, uh, you know, we might have optioned you down to Charlotte because Zach Remillard's playing really well. Yeah, I, I don't quite know. And I think it comes down to like it might be salvageable. If the all-star break comes and goes and Kopech is on schedule and remains on schedule for like three or four weeks. And then, you know, who knows what happens, you know, in terms of pitcher durability and who knows also what happens by the all-star break and what the White Sox choose to do and what arms they do have around and mm-hmm. how they are, you know, whether they're scraping for innings or acquired guys who might be able to take some starts and, you know, shuffle things around. But if this is a, you know, if, if shoulder inflammation is a scary way of saying like, yeah, there was, there were some, fatigue led to inflammation and it needs to calm down, but we think it will. And he makes a start, you know, the, the, the fifth day after the all-star break, not great, but fine. You know, it, if you were, they were resting him for fatigue, it'd look the same way, but it does. There's no reason to believe them in the interim. You know, it's basically like two weeks of having to say like, I don't believe you or, or, uh, show not tell when it comes to Kopech and like mm-hmm. that's just the way they've done it the last few years with injuries and you know Makata is another one in which he played looking like nothing like his usual self for weeks and you know, finally putting him on the aisle with you know a background like whether it's shoulders backs uh we saw with Robert's wrist last year uh Larry Garcia's back issue just I don't I thought Tony LaRusso was a disconnect between the uh, manager seat and the training room and the front office and whatnot. But yeah, there's just, I don't, especially since they hired new trainers too. Like they, they bolstered yeah, the coach. Jeff Head. Je- yeah. And some, you know, strength and conditioning guys too below him. Like they added them and like still this fundamental denial of injuries or underperformance due to apparent injuries until it finally, you know, bites them it remains and there are just too many of these to where like you should believe them on Kopech. I mean, that, that's, I guess how I'm taking it. Like I can see a situation where it's not that big of a deal where Kopech still reaches like 150 innings at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, based on precedent, not necessarily Kopech, but everybody else like, yeah, he might, who knows? He might have like 20 innings left him. And then he, that's, that's, you know, barely gets to hundred based on the way they've handled things. Yeah. The trend has been, White Sox player goes on injured list. They should be back in 10, 15 days. Rarely the case. Like they're gone weeks after the 10 or 15 days. How long has Cleverger been out? Yeah, he's gonna, it's going to be like a month. Yeah, it's got to be a month. Yohan Makata, we still do not have a clear timetable for him. We don't have a clear timetable for Liam Hedricks. Well, they said three to four weeks. They have not established a timeline for Garrett Crochet. I think that is smart on their half. I will give them credit for that because it might be more serious of a shoulder inflammation situation for Garrett Crochet than it is for Michael Kopech. It's just like this is this is one of my complaints about the White Sox front office. I would just like them to be a little bit more forthcoming here because you pitch this idea that, well, Michael Kopech is tired. And we want to manage his workload and give him extra rest. 
And then, oh, before Sunday's game, by the way, uh, Michael Kopech has to go on the injured list. Like, it just makes it seem like... And the injured list is not a friendly place for White Sox players. It just gives White Sox fans, like, gloom because of what happens when guys go on the injured list. They could be gone for the rest of the season. We may not see them again. And that could that could really complicate matters. So I, I'm hopeful Kopech could return to the White Sox rotation shortly after the All-Star break. But my expectations are it might be longer than that if, if the inflammation doesn't calm down over the All-Star break. And and then what? You you can't mm-hmm. keep going with the three-man rotation. I mean, the White Sox are not the Tampa Bay Rays. Like, Chuck they Tanner don't have could. this figured out. Wilbur Wood and Tom Bradley, like, bring them back. Oh, gosh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm sure they also pitched through shoulder inflammation and couldn't pick anything up after age 40 in their lifetime because they <laughs> threw so much. But, yeah, oh, no, man. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's not great. Uh, I envy what the Detroit Tigers do for their media. Like, I don't know if you've seen those like injury releases that they do. Like, yeah, it's pages very extensive. Long. Yeah, extensive. Like just picture is dealing with, you know, shoulder inflammation. Uh, he's expected to start throwing again in one week. You know, uh, a timetable for a rehab assignment will be forthcoming. Um, somebody just, you know, it reported to Toledo for a rehab assignment. Uh, we expect him to be back in four days. Like it's very thorough in terms of, uh, you know, whether they have timetables or not. Every player who is injured or currently uh, what they, I think they have a major league and a minor league one. Uh, and it seems like it would take up, you know, maybe Rick Hahn prefers talking about injuries to everything else he could be asked about. So it's a way to like kind of uh, take up uh, seven minutes of his media session by giving all the injury updates uh, that this uh, Tigers press release takes care of. But as a somebody writing about them and somebody documenting injuries, I would Really, it would really be cool to see that. I'm not sure if that's a Scott Harris thing of, uh, you know, new general manager in town, um, hmm. you know, preferring to uh, release the information that way so he doesn't have to talk about it and just tasks the communications department with uh, informing the reporters. But I very much envy that as somebody who would like to keep track and like when somebody asks or tweets us like, hey, what's happening with uh, Garrett Crochet? Like we could actually say like, oh, you know, according to this date, uh, which is, you know, last Friday and they always release them on a Friday. Uh, they said this, and I guess we'll find out next Friday if there's any update to that condition. The White Sox hate when people from the outside speculate about their business, but they do a terrible job of communicating. So all that leaves for people outside of the White Sox business is to speculate in what is going on at 35th and Shields. And I don't think they understand that. I, they've been doing this for so long. I I really don't think they are self-aware to understand. They continue to do this. And now we wait. Yeah. Or they just like complaining. That's true. (laughs) They might. (laughs) Now we wait. Now we wait and, and see how Giolito, Cease and Lynn hold up. And they're going to have to hold up because the White Sox do not have, they don't have depth. This is it. Three-man rotation going into this week. We'll see how they do. Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. But when we come back, again, there are some good things that have happened for the White Sox over the weekend, and we will talk about that. Luis Robert going to the All-Star game. Does Zach Rebelard have state power? And Eloy Jimenez is hot at the plate next on the Sox Machine Podcast. 
I'm sure many of you had this debate with significant others and friends about how fashionable cargo shorts are. As someone who has fought these battles and has been willing to die on the hill about the benefits of cargo shorts, I found a new light. In my attempts to get into more shape, I've lost a couple of pants short sizes, so it was time for a new wardrobe fix, and I discovered an apparel company called Bird Dogs. They make a wide range of gear, but they get high marks for their shorts. After receiving a pair, I understand the hype. Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts have a slimmer fit, so it's more in line with today's fashion trends. It gives legs a sculpted look, but it's still a great fit around the waist, so I don't feel constricted. That's because Bird Dog shorts are not made with stiff, restricted cotton. Bird Dogs invented a cloud-knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but it stretches to get you a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement, which is key for me. I want to look fashionable, but in a practical way. It's going to get hot in Chicago, I promise you. And if you are like me, wanting to up your shorts game, check out Bird Dogs. Right now, they're running a special. When you make your order at birddogs.com, use promo code POOL at checkout to receive a free Yeti-style tumbler. Again, the URL is birddogs.com pool. Use promo code POOL at checkout for that gift. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, let's talk about the good things for the Chicago White Sox. The big one, Luis Robert Jr. is officially an all-star. He gets the nod. He'll be joining the American League all-star team in Seattle after this homestand. It's well-deserved. Over the weekend, he went 5-for-12 against the Oakland Athletics. He had a home run. He walked three times. Hey, now, that's a good sign. In the last 15 games, just stupid numbers from Luis Roberts. Seven home runs, 10 RBIs, hitting 351 with a 431 on base percentage, slugging 772. Now, according to fan graphs, this is going to surprise a lot of people. When it comes to wins above replacement, Luis Robert Jr. is at 3.7. He's currently tied with Mookie Betts and Wander Franco for fourth best overall wins above replacement in Major League Baseball. Now, Shohei Otani is by far and away number one, and he is having a historic season. But we're talking about Luis Robert Jr. firmly now in the top 10 of all players in Major League Baseball with the way that he's been performing. And we've been raving about how Robert has really hit a groove. And I think, you know, the All-Star... It's always cool to see when you go to baseball reference, when you look at somebody's career and you see the all-star game appearances. And in a recent episode, we talked about how Luis Robert is living up to the hype. And Jim, this is, he gets the all-star star now on baseball reference for his page and it's well-deserved. Yeah. A deserving one, not a, we needed one representative from the White Sox. Right. Luis Robert is the closest thing to one. Which I think was my fear, like probably in early May or like first half of May, was looking at this roster and saying like, oh, you know, is Jake Berger going to be the the best all-star case? Or is it going to be like Kendall Graveman or Joe Kelly's getting hot? There's your all-star. And like nobody really cares about relievers getting uh, all-star bids. Like maybe Liam Hendricks at his peak getting an all-star nod and cursing on the live mic and closing it out. Like that's what you want to see. But like. Kendall Graveman is not Liam Hendricks in terms of reputation, in terms of like, you know, how a different manager would treat him in the late innings. Like Liam Hendricks gets the ball. Kendall Graveman does not in that situation. And just like 
charity and, and the charity that makes everybody feel a little bit disgusted with themselves. <laughs> like it's not really appreciated. It's just, uh, you know, league said we had to, here you go, Kendall. No, Roberts, you know, he's one of the best players in the league. And, you know, we've talked about that. He's not a perfect player, but his strengths are so strong that the weakness is you can shrug away. And, you know, as we look towards whatever the next White Sox roster is going to be, the job of whoever is going to be leading that charge has to find players who can supplement that weakness. But like, you know, it reminds me a little bit of Jose Abreu, except Jose Abreu, who's really fast and can play center field <laughs> in terms of just like, he's going to have some at-bats that frustrate you from time to time. But the talent just wins out at the end of the day. And it's so, for a White Sox team that has just not had talent, uh, to see Roberts command all of it is really... Um, it's a reason to go to the ballpark, uh, you know, when otherwise there really might not be. Elo Jimenez is on a nice little run. You know, Dylan Cease and you know, Lucas Giolito give good efforts. But when it comes to just who's going to, you know, make my jaw drop or who's going to, you know, who am I going to pin hopes on? Like it's Roberts and that's kind of it, especially if you consider defense as well. Yeah, we talked about in the last podcast episode, where would the White Sox be without Luis Robert? Like, the offense has been struggling. They've been performing well in the last five games. But overall, in the first half of the season, they have been struggling. And, yeah, without Luis Robert, uh, I mean, the season would be over for the White Sox. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, Shohei Otani, assuming he stays healthy, knock on wood, because it's fun as hell watching him play. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, like, you know, he's going to be the unanimous MVP. MVP. Yeah, assuming he like has a decent second half, especially if the Angels are like over 500 or around 500 and making a run at it. With Robert, like say if it were a case where Otani's having like a pedestrian season and like it's actually a race, like Robert would be hammered by the valuable argument, by the voters who do not look at it as best player, but look at it as valuable because like, where would the White Sox be without Luis Roberts? Like, well, they could be 12 games or 500 with anybody. You know, they could be, you know... Uh, out of the race since April with anybody, you know, what has Robert done? And so I'm, I'm kind of thankful that Otani's having the season we had just so we don't have, uh, or we don't have a high risk of being inundated with those arguments of best versus valuable, which I think are extremely annoying. I did put up this show poll on Twitter, which uh, we all know and how well Twitter has been working as of late. Uh, the show poll was over under total wins for the white Sox in 2023, 72 and a half wins. And out of the people that voted in the Twitter poll, 68% took the under for the White Sox, thinking that they're going to lose at least 90 games this season, with only 32% believing the White Sox will avoid the 90 losses. And and I think that happens if Luis Robert could play the entire season, Jim. If something were to happen, knock on wood, it does not happen for Luis Robert, and mm-hmm. he does play the entire season. I do think that he, the White Sox can avoid... 90 losses, but man, I, the more I think about it, just like trying to imagine where this White Sox team would be without Luis Robert, like Jake Berger, according to wins above replacement is the second best position player that the White Sox currently have. I think the way that Andrew Benatendi has been playing ever since he's been batting leadoff for the White Sox in the last few weeks and even extended over to the last month, I think that he has become the second most valuable player 
position player that the White Sox have, but that's a big drop off from where Luis Robert is down to Andrew Benatendi. And I've got this feeling that even if the White Sox can avoid 90 losses, Jim, it's going to be weird to see a seven war Luis Robert junior season. And the White Sox are like 74 and 88. It's like, what a waste. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about the question too. And I think 68% said, yeah, under 20 or under 72 wins. And, I think, you know, it comes down to, you know, how they act at the trade deadline. If they sell, if Lucas Giolito goes, if Dylan Cease goes, like, yeah, I, I would, uh, uh, I, I don't see how they go over. If they lose the guys who have been the only thing keeping them afloat, um, is Andrew Vaughn suddenly becoming going to become fast or something? Like, <laughs> like uh, the, the, right. the players who have been, you know, is, is Andrew Benintendi going to hit 15 homers? Like, are all the guys who have been limited by just their natural positives and negatives uh their their strengths and weaknesses like we're seeing like 40th percentiles across the board i think when it comes to the white Sox via offense and pitching staff you know with lance lynn i would say it's like 20th but the guys if they trade the guys who are overperforming or performing just fine have trade value because of the way they've played like i i don't see how they get to 72 yeah that's depressing as hell uh something that's not depressing zach remillard he continues to be useful, Jim. So in this three-game series, Remillard goes three for eight because he walked four times. So three base hits, four walks, got on base seven times in this series, which is fantastic. Ever since he's joined the White Sox, he's 15 for 38 with six walks and eight RBIs, which means that Remillard's hitting 395 with a 489 on base percentage, and he's slugging 474. There's not a lot of pop in the bat for Zach Remillard. Definitely not home run power. I say that and now watch him hit four home runs this upcoming homestand. It's more double. It's more gap to gap. It's more <laughs> hustle double power for Zach Remillard. Mm-hmm. However, the White Sox desperately needing hot hands to help support Luis Robert and Andrew Benatendi because so many guys in his lineup could really go cold. We have talked about it many times about just all these options they have thrown at second base and nobody is sticking for the White Sox. Well, here's Remillard. He's been very useful since that Seattle series, pretty much winning that game for the White Sox coming off the bench, and he continues to be useful. The question that I've been posed on social media, and I want to get your thoughts, Jim, is about staying power. Mm -hmm. Is this for real or is this a Danny Mendick 2.0 that we're talking about when watching Remillard? I don't think it's for real. I'd like to say it's for real because I don't know if you've heard this from me, but he played his high school ball in Troy, a capital region guy. <laughs> You're becoming the Charlie Tilson when it comes to Zach Remillard. Did you he's, know that Charlie Tilson played high school ball in Chicago? Yeah, he's my former local product. Uh, I have to tout that. Uh, <laughs> but no, I... I think two things that jump out to me, uh, positive, negative positive is that like he has an idea of the strike zone and part of me wonders like, you know, again, as we mentioned with Tim Anderson, Oakland series, Oakland pitching staff, like the Oakland pitching staff meets somebody like Zach Remillard halfway, kind of like the way Jesse Schultons meets Oakland's lineup halfway and Tanner Banks does to where like, uh, if they break a, a drought of 10 hit games, or 10 hits in a game because they get those hits off Tanner Banks and Jesse Schultons. That's not really an insult. That's guys, they have the best chance of hitting. So 
hey, you know, good for them. They did it. Same with Zach Remlard. Like, if he's having a good series against Oakland, he should, because that pitching should kind of look familiar to him. Uh, like, I don't know, like the Norfolk pitching staff, like a really good AAA team, Durham, uh, the, the Tampa Bay uh, prospects they run out there. Like, he might have seen relatively equal pitching staffs in the International League. So he should, you know, have the kind of series where he's drawing walks and getting on base because he's um, just has some semblance of an idea. So there's that. I, I think the thing I like about him is like, he does provide a little bit of a control in terms of like, here's a guy with decent plate discipline. Here's how, if he's drawing walks and nobody else is, and he shouldn't scare any pitcher. What are we doing with the rest of our lineup? Like, what are we doing with just our development and the players we evaluate the players we bring in the organization? Like maybe we should have like a, a real heart to heart talk among ourselves about just, you know, we can't keep going on like this. If Zach Rimlord can like walk laps around the rest of the lineup just by being somebody who doesn't, you know, can lay off two pitches out of the zone in a row. So that I like, and that feels somewhat sustainable. I think just the lack of power and the lack of pop, I think ultimately those guys end up getting the bats knocked out of their hands. And like even this two run single was deflected a pinball one off the left side of the infield. It was, yeah. And, you know, Put the ball in play, you know, hit it reasonably hard, but still just more about placement than about uh, exit velocity. And, you know, Ozzie Gein will say, you know, he shows you don't need exit velocity, but time shows, you know, that just you can't get by in weak singles all the time. Like Luis Arias is an exception for a reason. Like he's just all about, even if he doesn't have, uh, you know, power in the classic sense, like he has barrel control. He, he gets barrels to balls and just can redirect them in all sorts of crazy ways. Whereas, you know, Remillard does not... Uh, Luis Arias. So, you know, I, that's why I doubt he has staying power. But the thing that, you know, I, I wrote about this saying that you really can't think that far ahead with the crisis the White Sox are in with the infield. Tim Anderson being, you know, having weak pulse right now. El Elvis Andrews, like that error in the uh, in extra innings, like that's a case of like, why are you even here? Like if you're making rookie mistakes uh, in, in games that you need to win, and your OPS starts at the five, like, what's the point? You know, why, why are you getting at bats here? Yeah, he's like the infield Clint Frazier, I think, in which if they made a roster move tomorrow, like, yeah, I, I get it. There's just, it's not, there There seems to be nothing there. Remillard just coming in and providing any kind of competency. You know, I would say enjoy every game it happens. And, and if it happens two games in a row, like, be happy fourfold because it just, you know, it's kind of exponential happiness in terms of him delivering because they had so many options going into the season about second and third base with Lenin Sosa and uh, Romy Gonzalez, Elvis Andrews, Jose Rodriguez, if he was healthy from the get go. And like Zach Remlard's a guy stepping up, like on one hand, like that's not good, but as long as he's delivering, like, Great. Don't ask questions. Uh, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, et cetera. Just uh, appreciate every game that's happening. Be wary that it might uh, be wary of the threat that he might go into a really quiet slump where he has a lot of 0 for 4s with no strikeouts, but just like he's just hitting routine outs the way Tim Anderson kind of is right now with uh, uh, you know ground balls to the left side and line drives always to the same spot to right field. Um, that That's kind of my fear with Remillard. But for the time being, great. Keep it up. Go Troy. Yeah, it, flavor of the month. That's the way I described it. And the White Sox have had this over the last couple of years. Like, somebody surprises you. They have a hot month. 
and people think they got staying power and then they, they fizzle. So I, I'm with you, Jim, but yeah. he's he's got a hot hand. He should be in the lineup. Keep him mm-hmm. in the lineup, Pedro. You said that when you got hired, you play the hot hands, and you kind of do that. Uh, continue to play Zach Remillard at second base until he hits that cold streak. You don't got anyone else right now yeah. that is threatening Remillard's playing time. Well, in 2021, was built on these hot streaks. Your mean Mercedes to Jake Lamb to Gavin Sheets to Adam Engel to Jake Berger, like all these like great two weeks uh, back to back to back. Like, you know, Zach Remillard is providing that kind of impact. But unfortunately, like everything the White Sox needed from those guys were pretty much concentrated to right field and DH. And right now there are so many problems that Zach Remillard, like he solved second base, but Third base when Jake Berger is really struggling. Shortstop when Tim Anderson's really struggling. Right field when uh, there might not be anybody like when Gavin Sheets is your best option. You know, just you know, goes on and on and on. And that's you know, Remillard does not have that kind of impact to give like a 2021 type boost. But he's just one man. And then finally, Eloy. He's hot at the plate. He had a home run, five RBIs against the Athletics over the weekend. He did leave Sunday's game early due to general unspecified soreness, uh, who knows? Uh, again, revisiting the conversation we had about the White Sox and how they handle injuries earlier in the show. In his last seven games, he's 11 for 29 with two homers and eight RBI, hitting 379 with a 419 on base percentage, slugging 655. Offensively, if Robert continues his hot streak and if Eloy is fine, now I think you got something cooking here. You got a stew cooking here, Jim, with Robert and Jimenez going back to back in the lineup. And I think we have seen in the last seven days and in this series and even during the road trip, Andrew Vaughn can be a nice hitter. Someone that has a 115 weighted runs created plus. And he could pull through for you with the two RBI singles or finding a RBI double into the gap. But Eloy... I think could be should be on a different level offensively from the Andrew Vaughn. And that's why he is the prototype cleanup hitter for the White Sox and the way that he's been barreling up the ball. I've just got a feeling like Luis Robert has been red hot. If Eloy's fine and it's and it is truly just general soreness and he doesn't need like a spleen removed. Uh, then <laughs> all the vestigial organs, yeah. uh, then if Eloy could get hot, then I think this white Sox offense could ha- have a, have a chance to be very competitive in the month of July. I think if Eloy gets hot and he stays hot, um, one, do they trade him? Uh, that'd be an interesting case of like, <laughs> yeah, deal him while he's fully healthy. I haven't um, thought about that, but let's say like he, you know, his contract runs long enough to where like, if it's hit, he, Robert, and Vaughn are playing well enough. I think that makes the case for not tearing it down, like maybe like a you know selling the expiring contracts or whatnot. But in terms of like a complete teardown where you have like another multi-stage rebuild, I think they're the argument. We have a core of the lineup already here. We have uh, you know uh, under controlled costs for the next few years. Like, let's try to, let's go the Brewers model of just trying to mix and match and Mm. get other teams like, uh, you know, whether it's guys who are close to the majors or just trade for blocked players, et cetera, uh, who might come cheap. Like just try to stock your roster with 
interesting players might be platoonable, might be if they had, you know, I'm not sure like what the state of their swing fixes are, but just if they have like an, a notion about a guy, like maybe not a push for it because they have so many roster spots to spill, especially like the rotation. I think that's the, that's the thing that's scary about the Michael Kopech thing is like, if he's not there, then what's the rotation next year? Dylan like, Cease. What can you count on for a White Sox? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Dylan Cease. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Dylan Cease. And for, so, like, that's the argument, I think, for, like, they if Kopech's out and Lance Lynn is, yeah, there's no thought of giving or, or exercising his option, like, there's no rotation next year. So they can't really make a push for it all in one year. But in terms of, like, trying to make it fast or interesting. Like I think having that middle lineup of Robert Jimenez and Vaughn is pretty much close to it because they're all around for at least the next few years. Okay. So to that point, throw in Ben attendee because he signed that five-year contract as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So you got four, you got four hitters that should be above league average for you. I can understand where you're coming from, Jim. Do you trust Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams to be able to implement the Milwaukee Brewers style of reloading? Oh, God, the no. Now, Rick Hahn and <laughs> Kenny Williams. No, 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 no. Uh, okay. But uh, I also don't trust them to rebuild, which is why this sucks in terms of like this fixed front office is like there's no hope anywhere. They When you go to the rebuild and waste three years of every fan's life with a promise to give it better. You can't play that card again. You can't make people excited about that again. Right. So yeah. Um, I'm secretly hoping that somebody reads the writing on the wall says like, we're terrible at this. Uh, I could, you know, get paid close to the same amount of money and live where I want and not have to deal with this. So like, that's my hope with uh, the White Sox front office to make some change. That isn't Chris gets, I'm not, I'm not optimistic for that, but just this would be the kind of season where like something has to change. And if nothing changes, then I guess it's kind of the rebuild thing. Like, well, I guess you can never count on any change happening because this a season this bad after the managerial search that land, the manager you want, and you put all your eggs in the basket of like, no, it's not the players. It's uh, how they're being led. And turns out that's not the case. Like, yeah. It's uh, all my, I, I guess, thoughts about 2024 are somebody else in charge. I don't think it's going to happen, but just I don't I like uh, just being able to spend some time with the thoughts of having a different front office until it's proven impossible. Kenny Williams, 20 years ago. I would have confidence because he did. Yeah, that's what he did. Not quite. Quitting. That was like, oh, seven. Yeah. Not quite. Like 07 when he had that like, oh, that's weird that you're uh, you acquiring John Dinks and putting him in the rotation. Like it's a weird time to do it. And they lost 90 games, but just it was a controlled burn a little bit. But then they came right back, regrouped with a better rotation, uh, added some guys, uh, you know, Orlando Cabrera, Nick Swisher, et cetera, and like got back to the postseason. So like that's kind of how I look at this is it seems like a controlled burn is called for. Um, but yeah, it just... Well, even didn't you get Freddie Garcia like, the year like 2004? Yeah. So like it's a case where like you can start thinking about like who you're going to acquire for 2025 this year um, with, you know, not having the huge trade chits that they had with uh, um, Chris Sale and Jose Quintana and Adam Eaton and whatnot. Right. But, you know, Kenny, yeah, 20, Kenny 20 years ago, like he would make the trades. Rick Hahn seems afraid to make trades. 
Like, yeah. he just really hasn't. Ever since Lance Lynn, he really hasn't made one. Like, th- that didn't involve, like, a busted player or expiring contracts or options being forced. Like, Nick Madrigal was probably the closest thing to, like, a real bold trade, but, like, Mick, Nick Madrigal also couldn't play the rest of that year. And Nick, so. and Nick Madrigal's got more home runs than Tim Anderson now. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, Rickon really, I don't even know what he's doing around anymore. But Kenny Williams 15, 20 years ago, yeah, I would have confidence. Kenny Williams, no, no. No, I don't. Yeah. But no, those are the good things, and hopefully these good things continue into the White Sox homestand as they do return from the West Coast. And they got six games against the Toronto Blue Jays and the St. Louis Cardinals. Jim and I are going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. But coming up next, we'll preview the White Sox Blue Jays and the Sox Machine Podcast. One reason why I hate buying tickets to anything these days is the waiting room. You know that feeling. You get the pre-sale code and even if you got the pre-sale code and you log in, you're stuck in the waiting room with thousands of other people not even sure if you're going to get a chance to buy tickets. Buying tickets to any event shouldn't be stressful and that's why I've switched and used game time. It's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater shows near you. I use it to buy concert and theater tickets now for Chicago events. You could use it. It's also great for Major League Baseball games as well. They have some killer deals, especially when it comes to White Sox tickets as game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for the baseball games or any of the comedy and theater shows that will be happening all summer long in Chicago. And what I really like about GameTime is that they have the GameTime guarantee, which means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why it's one of the fastest growing ticketing apps in the country for a reason. So snag the tickets without stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app on your phone, either for Apple or Android devices. Create an account and use promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account on GameTime and redeem code SOXMACHINE for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, the Chicago White Sox are back home. They'll be playing Tuesday night, 4th of July at 7 o'clock. So maybe you're doing some grilling, doing some barbecue. You could do that before the White Sox play. If you're going to the White Sox game, of course, you could watch the fireworks after the game, and maybe the White Sox hit many home runs in that game. You could see even more fireworks as they'll be playing the 4th, 5th, and 6th against the Toronto Blue Jays before the St. Louis Cardinals come to town, the 7th, 8th, and 9th, and then it is the All-Star break. The Toronto Blue Jays, they are an interesting team because they're 45-40 and 40 on the season. They're 4th place in the American League East. They're 11 half games back of Tampa Bay. So in Toronto... It's an uneasy feeling right now. This team should be playing better. They're still just one and a half games back of the wild card. So they're in the playoff mix. They have lost their last three games. They got swept by the Boston Red Sox. And they are 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. This is what's odd about the Blue Jays. And what's creating an uneasy feeling north of the border. The Blue Jays are 7-20 and 20 against their division. They are having a hell of a time against their division rivals this season. 
but they are 38 and 20 against everybody else, including wiping the White Sox all over the floor in late April in Toronto, sweeping the White Sox in a three-game series and outscoring them 20 to 2, which was like by far and away the most disheartening baseball we have seen this season from the Chicago White Sox. The pitching probables for this series. Toronto, Chris Bassett will take the mound, old friend, against Lucas Giolito. Wednesday night, familiar foe, Jose Barrios will make the start for the Blue Jays. Lance Lynn is the probable starter for the White Sox in that game. Thursday night, it's UC Kikuchi for the Blue Jays, and it'll be a bullpen day for the White Sox. Probably the Tanner Banks-Jesse Schultons combination. And then you have the series against St. Louis, which, as I mentioned, the White Sox are going to have to have two bullpen days that weekend because they're down to just three starting pitchers. This series has to go a lot better for the White Sox than it did in Toronto, right, Jim? Maybe. Uh, I have... (laughs) have It's got to. It's got to, but I guess... The way it could go better is they lose two out of three, but to a better team to where like, oh, now it's that's normal. Like losing two out of three of the Blue Jays. There's no yes. dishonor there, whereas there is for Oakland. Um, the Blue Jays are fascinating to me just because when it comes to the White Sox, like they seem like they are they almost like self-regulate to hover around 10 games under 500, you know, 12 games under 500 and just like always look mediocre not you know at least since april like not terrible but mediocre since like may and you know i guess mediocre would be losing a series to oakland uh when you think they should win it like that's some something that doesn't provide any hope whatsoever like mediocre is like losing the first game to the angels and then like scraping by with a split and yeah maybe it just adjusts for the quality of opponent to where they're not getting their doors blown off anymore but they just look you know, mildly disappointing across the board. So I think like the Toronto should be an interesting test case because they've been frustrating for their fans uh, the whole year, like never being able to put it together. Like they just lost three in a row to the Red Sox. Right. So like just when it looked like they might start climbing up the AL East, they're back down in the fourth place you know, behind the Yankees again. And uh, with all the problems the Yankees are having and like they still, Toronto still can't climb ahead of them. So there are some reasons why Toronto would look at the series and say like, yeah, of course we couldn't beat the White Sox or of course we couldn't sweep the White Sox. Like I'm surprised that the Blue Jays are bottom half in homers. Like when you look at, look at their lineup, yeah. look at, you know, all the power they have, um, look at the way they changed their fences. You lowered them to theoretically accommodate more homers. Like they're still bottom half of the league in homers. Like, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is having, you know, just a mess season. You know, Matt Chapman is having a mess. Across the board, just like a lot of blah. George Springer, another guy. Like, if they put it together, like, they could be, like, sleeping giants. But in this case, like, if they're going to continue what they're doing, then that probably includes, like, a disappointing loss against the White Sox that that make them think, oh, you know, we can't put it together even against the White Sox. Well, I remember Matt Chapman had a fast start this season, and he is cooled off. Bo Bichette was also someone that had a fast start. But yeah, to your point, when when Vlad Guerrero Jr. is not hitting at all cylinders, and he's not close to his all-star self, and I say this as a guy who's got 12 home runs this year and 52 RBIs and has an OPS of 792, the White Sox would love to have someone like Vlad Guerrero Jr., in the lineup. But I mean, that's not what we expect to see from Vlad Jr. A 445 sluggy percentage from mm-hmm. Vlad Guerrero Jr. Like, no, that's not 
that's not what we we were expecting before the season. And yeah, to your point, just like looking at the home run totals, yeah, I am surprised that the Blue Jays lineup has not been hitting as well. And just looking like at the last thirty days, and yeah, Vlad Jr. seven seventy two OPS. That's pretty much on par. Yeah, Matt Chapman hitting 211, 287, 378 in the, the last 30 days, the last 25 games for them. That that hurts. Alejandro Kirk has been really struggling. He, he's been an impact bat before. Uh, I'm not even sure how Whit Merrifield made the all-star team. Uh, that's shocking to me, but, you know, he's got the whole country of Canada behind him, and for some reason Canada loves to do online voting for things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, Whit Merrifield's an all-star, but in his last 25 games, he's got a 620 OPS. Just uh, really bizarre. So so you got an offense struggling the last 30 days against a pitching staff for the White Sox. Like I, I, I'm confident Lucas Giolito will pitch well. Mm-hmm. Not so confident about Wednesday and Thursday. I don't know what to make of Lance Lynn, Jim. And people keep asking me about Lance Lynn, and it's... The only way I could sum it up is I'm terrified when he's facing a left-handed hitter. I'm a bit terrified when he's pitching out of the stretch. I'm expecting him to allow a back-breaking big inning, but he's going to go five or six innings because Pedro Grafal will have him and will push Lance Lynn to throw 100-plus pitches in his outing. And when you look at his final line, it's not as bad as it felt when either seen in person or watching on TV. Is that a fair explanation? Do you have the same feelings that I do when watching Lance Lynn? Yeah, I'm more or less at peace with the idea that he's post-surgery John Danks in that, like, he's going to qualify for the ERA title. He's going to be the worst, you know, or he might be the worst qualifying pitcher uh, in baseball. But it takes a certain amount of talent to qualify. Like, he's not the worst pitcher in baseball because, like, every worst pitcher in baseball doesn't throw 160 innings or 170 innings. Like it takes a certain talent to get there. And with the white the bullpen games, the white Sox have, and uh, given the depths they've gone to, to try to preserve their relievers with like having Brian Shaw and Lucas Giolito ready to throw an inning. Like uh, it's a case where, yeah, they kind of need that fifth and sixth inning from him when it's not going so well, or when it looks like it's not going so well. So he serves a purpose. It's not a, it's a much more useful purpose when you have a whole bunch of other starters who are performing and he just helps cross the day off the calendar. Like when on paper, like the white Sox had like four starters with three win projections, you know, based on how they performed in the first half and like Lance Lynn bringing up the rear, but Lance Lynn's throwing 170, 180 innings. Like that normally is great. If your fifth starter doesn't like make life harder for everybody else in the pitching staff, that's useful. But like when you're looking at him to deliver wins and stack wins and be a stopper, that's, I think, you know, where it goes awry. And unfortunately, like he's being paid like a frontline starter, but, you know, either whether time is taking its toll or whether he just, you know, has a very delicate pitch mix that, you know, really needs refining or to maximize it against lefties who can, you know, smoke his fastball right now. Like pretty much seems like, yeah, post-surgery John Dinks, innings eater, uh, crosses days off calendar. That, that's kind of how I'm treating them. I was thinking more of James Shields. If you're going to go that route, 
I remember post-surgery yeah. John Danks did not have a very long shelf life, but, I mean, Lance Lynn's not going to have a very long shelf life either. I don't see the White Sox. Yeah, James Shields probably the more contemporary reference. I just, I equate John Danks to, like, having some hopes around him still and being paid a lot. I guess James Shields was, too, uh, for more rebuildy teams. But, yeah, either one works. So what's what's impressed me is that for Lucas Giolito this season, pitching at home, he's got a 2.36 ERA. And opposing hitters are hitting 199 with a 242 on base percentage and slugging just 359 against Lucas Giolito at Gary T. Ray Field. That is, it, that's impressive to me uh, on how well Lucas Giolito has been pitching at home because it feels like he's the only one that's really pitching well at home for the White Sox this season. And again, the trade deadline is coming up and the way that Lucas Giolito has been pitching for the White Sox as I look up Lance Lynn's numbers at home, opposing opposing teams are hitting 292, 348, 516 against Lance Lynn at Guarantee Ray Field this year. He's got a 7.22 ERA. Oh, man, I don't feel great about Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> but with Lucas Giolito and the strong June that he has, I again, there are some teams that may sell here. And now there's whispers out of San Diego that Blake Snell could be available before the trade deadline. Obviously, that would hurt Lucas Giolito's market. But I've got to imagine if Lucas Giolito could keep the Toronto Blue Jays at bay, and if he does make one more start, which he could the day before the All-Star break, if the White Sox don't give him that extra day off, uh, or give him the, the, the extra rest, I should say, and he pitches the last game before the All-Star break, and he does a good job against St. Louis, I, I just wonder on how loud the drum beat is going to be nationally, Jim. Because you have these four off days. There's stuff that's going on for nationally baseball, but this is the all-star break is when things really turn up with trade conversations. I just wonder from a national level if the drum beat's gonna get louder and louder and louder. Speculation about Lucas Giolito getting dealt before the trade deadline. It should. I mean, like he's back to his old form. Maybe not all the way back to when he was like throwing uh, insane spin rate fastballs and the floating changeups. Like, you know, there, there is a case where like, he's just doesn't have that kind of velocity, um, along with the spin rate that he had and spin rate, uh, is correlates of velocity. So it wasn't all sticky stuff, but he's back to being the, you know, a guy who can go six and seven innings is disappointed when he gets pulled from a game, like the guy you want starting a postseason game. So yeah, I don't know why teams wouldn't be interested in him. I could see the white Sox like, yeah, here's, I guess, a good case of Rick Hahn. Like, make a trade. Yeah, find something you like. Go for it. Um, he'll be tested here. But, yeah, I mean, he's he should be attractive in the trade market. And the White Sox apparently are not going to make an effort to re-sign him. Uh, I think Bob Nightingale, right, was the yes. one who said that. That just, yeah. So that's pretty much Jerry Reinsdorf's thinking. And so, yeah, there's no reason to think the White Sox would probably think he's more worth the draft pick than uh, – uh, trading him if they are still a dozen games under 500. And should they be like, you know, eight games under 500 and three games out, I think that's really going to be the Rick Hahn stress test. And just, you know, can you make a trade? Can you, uh, can you be lured away from like salvaging anything from this rebuild? Um, do you have conviction in new trades rather than getting gun shy and saying we couldn't we had very you know interesting talks but just couldn't quite find the thing we we're looking for like that's i think going to be the 
the fascinating part is three games out or so, you know, what's he going to do? And if he does come to an idea of trading Giolito and, and does go through with it, like I'll almost applaud him a little bit for just like doing something like, like having some conviction in the direction of the team, even if like, I don't want him doing it. So yeah, it's, it's going to be tricky. One thing I'm watching with the series is, uh, you know, looking at the roster and seeing this uh, series on fan graphs, talking about top defenses and worst defenses, outfield defense, the difference between the blue Jays and the white Sox, you know, they, they both have like great center fielders, but in the corners, like Dalton Varsho, uh, the white Sox do not have a Dalton Varsho. And so like every time there's that kind of series, I'm always uh, wondering, like, are we going to see like the Baltimore series mm, from yeah. last year over again, like where they're just catching everything in sight and just you see the uh, goofus and gallant in terms of uh, uh, comparisons between what the White Sox put in the outfield or what the White Sox believe is an outfielder versus what outfielders actually are. It would help if they called up Oscar Colas, honestly, yes. on Tuesday. And that should be the move. Uh, Clint Frazier doesn't have a spot on this team. He, he should not be... With the White Sox, send him back to Charlotte, call up Oscar Colas. I think that helps you a great deal. And Jim and I both agree on that. So maybe we'll get some good news on Tuesday that the White Sox announced. Maybe Rick Hahn announces before he speaks to the media that Oscar Colas has returned to the Chicago White Sox and be back at right field because I know it's Charlotte and I know it's AAA, but Oscar Colas has been red hot, especially if you've been reading the daily minor league recaps that Jim's been writing on SoxMachine.com and checking out the highlight videos on Twitter and social media. A Colossus hot, so go with the hot hand. Yeah. And these homers are coming in Norfolk, not Charlotte. Yeah. Good signs. Good sign. Yeah, Colossus should be on the White Sox roster Tuesday if he is not. <laughs> I'm just going to throw my hands up and be like, I, I don't know what we're doing here. I, I don't. But I do know that's the end of this podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. I'm at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Those are also our Instagram handles. And we always upload the podcast into our YouTube channel, which you can check out those videos at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. Programming note, I'm going to be out this week. I'm getting married. However, I spent some time with Jim Callis, or one of our best friends of the show from MLB.com to talk about the 2023 Major League Baseball draft. Expect that podcast episode to hit the feeds on Wednesday. We preview the draft, talk about the options that the White Sox could possibly go at pick 15. We also had some terrific questions from our Patreon supporters that Jim was kind enough to really go in-depth and provide his thoughts and insight on what is going on with the White Sox draft war room and even what's going on in the White Sox farm system as well. Again, that episode will be coming on Wednesday, July 5th. And uh, speaking of Patreon supporters, if you enjoy work and you want more, you can become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash machine where our Patreon supporters get an opportunity to pose questions when we do have guests on the podcast. They also get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and when we have new Sox Machine swag, the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.